in these moments of destruction and decay, I think there are actually seeds of regeneration and seeds of renewal and hope. How do you unlock the full potential of your influence and create the lasting change that you are destined for? I am your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Thanks, Dave. And I am your co-host, Scott Young. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for exciting stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals from around the globe. As we are empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. Well, welcome to the Influencers Podcast. And uh, are there people where you just want to do like the Spock brain drain because uh, they're so smart? Uh, Well, our guest is one of those people. Uh, but he's not just smart. Uh, he's one of the kindest uh, people that I know, and that's Tim Gagline. Welcome, my good friend, to the Influencers Podcast. Well, I feel the same about you, uh, Dave, and it is really an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, before I present uh, your bio, which will be abbreviated, because if I shared the whole thing, that would take up all of our time. But you got to tell us, I mean, you're one of the best dressed guys I've ever met about the bow tie, because you've been wearing that as long as I've known you. <laughs> my, uh, my maternal grandfather was an occasional bow tie wearer. My father, who is my best friend, uh, was a bow tie wearer in his younger days. And in fact, he looks so suave and debonair in his high school uh, portrait. And it rubbed off on me. And uh, uh, not only uh, were my grandfather and father uh, totemic, you know, in my life, uh, but I'm also a great fan of Abraham Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln was an inveterate Brooks Brothers man and a bow tie wearer. And I thought, you know what? That's all a pretty good standard. Not bad. And that's who's above my shoulder here. I see. I see. (laughs) Well, Tim Gagline is the Vice President of External Government Relations for Focus on the Family. How do you beat Focus on the Family? Uh, How do you beat Jim Daly? What a leader. Uh, Formerly, he served as a special assistant to President George W. Bush and as a deputy director for the White House Office of Public Liaison. Uh, He was the president's principal outreach contact for conservative and faith-based groups. I had the pleasure of working uh, with Tim there in Washington, D.C., and as part of this compassion revolution called the Faith-Based and Community Initiative. And and Tim, you were a vanguard leader, lead blocker for faith-based organizations like ours to level the playing field so that we could pursue federal funds. But uh, as important, uh, we wanted to make sure that people in need had access to the best services. And many of our organizations were being uh, really discriminated against unfairly. And so you and your team uh, valiantly worked uh, to tear those walls down. And uh, what a great success that was and is. Tim, you have an extensive resume, which also includes serving as a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and as a communications director for U.S. Senator Dan Coates of Indiana and Gary Bauer at the Campaign for Working Families. 
Uh, you've also authored an amazing book, one of my favorite books, The Man in the Middle, Faith and Politics in the George W. Bush Era. And your latest book is titled American Restoration. And you and your lovely wife, Jenny, have two sons. And you live yes, in the do. D.C. area. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about in a short amount of time, so let's get started. Uh, you're an influencer of influencers, and uh, you've been serving really in the trenches for a long time to inform and encourage Christians to work, to protect, preserve, uh, fight for our moral, biblical values. Uh, but I think all of us are deeply concerned about the erosion of those values. It just seems like it's picking up speed. Uh, why do you have hope? Well, I have a lot of hope because Christ is risen. And uh, as a very dear friend of mine once said, Dave, so poignantly, he said, remember, even on the deepest, darkest, most difficult days, he said, remember, we are running from a victory, not toward a victory. Uh, and I absolutely love that. Mm. Uh, you know, Christ is risen. He has defeated uh, death, the devil, and the grave. Uh, and uh, we serve an awesome and remarkable God. And part of serving our awesome and remarkable God is to understand that all of us have very deep meaning and purpose in life. Uh, the Christian life is actually laureled uh, and rooted uh, in the view that each and every person matters. Each and every person was designed in the very image of God himself. Uh, I love Dave C.S. Lewis's observation that we are not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. Mm. That's exactly right. Mm. And we have to remember that people who disagree with us uh, do not have to be our enemies. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's. Uh, one of the most difficult things of all the years that I have lived and worked inside the Beltway, to, to your point, to have seen this uh, remarkable decline on the part of some people, uh, that someone who disagrees with me, someone who has a different viewpoint, you know, must be my enemy, and that it somehow must become toxic and poisonous between us. And I think that that is exactly the opposite of how a Christian is to navigate the public square. So I have a great deal of hope. I think there are people of goodwill on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, Eisenhower famously was asked, how do you negotiate the tides of time in Washington? And he, he I think it was so beautiful. This is Eisenhower. He said, I don't spend a lot of time questioning other people's motivations. I like that. I think we can persuade people and I think we will never persuade anybody by putting our knuckle in the proverbial chest and demanding that they accept our worldview. I think we have to take Christ's uh, beautiful uh, a model, which is that we have to uh, uh, learn about the other person. We have to sit down and take the time to get to know them. And it's been my experience over and over. You mentioned 10 years in the Senate nearly eight at the White House, now 14 at Focus on the Family, mm. all of them here in Washington, and all of them working with people on both sides of the aisle. And I can honestly say, Dave, A to Z, no exceptions, that it's a lot better 
to remember that relationships are at the center. And it's really okay to pick up the phone, how old fashioned, uh, you know, and to go have a cup of coffee with the man or woman who disagrees with you vociferously. And you spend an hour with them and you find that after an hour, uh, you often can find common points of interest. And if you can't, then you do it civilly and diplomatically. So I have a lot of hope. And uh, I think that, uh, that we are honor bound uh, to navigate the public square uh, in a manner that is worthy uh, of our role as disciples of Christ. Well, I, I've had a ringside seat to see how God has used you and your kingdom diplomacy. Uh, I like to call it draw a box mm. around what you can agree upon mm. and start there and things that you can't agree on, leave outside the box. But as you forge a trust, a relationship and success, you can expand that box to include other things. Well, my, my friend, may I pick up on that for just one moment? Uh, you know, uh, I travel a lot in behalf of Focus on the Family. In fact, I'm just back from a trip to the West. And whether you're with uh, a large group of progressives or a large group of conservatives, whether it's you're mostly a Republican group or mostly a Democratic group, it's very common now to say something, uh, to hear something like the following. We have never been this polarized in the history of the United States. It's never been this bad. And, you know, I, I, I fundamentally reject that, uh, not because people don't feel that weight and burden. Of course, we all do. But the fact is, in our remarkable history, uh, you know, two thirds of Americans in the Revolutionary War period were either indifferent to the revolution or supporting the British. That's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. In the period of the Civil War, let's remember that by the end of the whole thing, 750,000 Americans were dead. I mean, this is such a terrible war of polarization and toxicity that we had brothers and cousins shooting each other to death at point blank range in peach orchards and on farms. That's pretty toxic. Uh, you know, let's, let's remember if we can for just a moment, the social and the moral revolution of the 1960s and 70s. Whole cities were burned to the ground. Students were shot on campuses. You know, that's polarization. So I think we have to be very careful in the light of, of, of American history to say this is the worst it ever has been. That's just simply not the case. And I really do believe, Dave, that there are people of genuine goodwill who, who get up every day and say, how can I do it better? And, uh, and, and, and obviously, there are a number of people who don't get up every day and say, how can I do it better? You know, uh, welcome to fallen human nature. You know, uh, we are all sinners. We can point all the fingers at ourselves. But my sense, and I have a sneaking suspicion about this, is that in these, uh, you know, in these moments of destruction and decay, I think there are actually seeds of regeneration and seeds of renewal and hope, uh, you know, that, that are attendant uh, to the whole thing. And I think that, uh, that the best years of us uh, as a nation and as a people are actually ahead of us. I think, may I say, I think the younger generation, I spent a lot of time with them. There's remarkable young men and women there and they want something better. They, uh, you know, they want to be married. They want to have families. They want to have children. And they want to live in a country that is worthy of all the ideals that is the best of the American experience. I really believe that. And so I, I think that restoration is in fact uh, possible indeed. 
Tell us a little bit about your book, uh, American Restoration, and then I'd like to shift asking you about where we're at with the sanctity of life. Well, th those are my two of my favorite topics. The first is American Restoration. Uh, taking a step back, if I may, for a moment, I travel a lot, as I mentioned a moment ago. And, and, and then and now, uh, I have been overwhelmed with people who say the following. Uh, I've never been more discouraged. If they have children or grandchildren, they say, I've never been more worried. And then they will say, I don't know what to do. And so after four or five years of hearing this kind of Trinitarian view uh, of, of discouragement and despair, I thought to myself, I have an idea. I'm going to write a book with 15 chapters. And what it's going to do, it's going to outline not only what the major problems are facing America, and as I say, I do this in 15 chapters, one problem, as they say, per chapter. And then I offer in each chapter the way forward. I use real examples back to Abraham Lincoln. He was asked, what made you such an effective lawyer? He said, in essence, that it wasn't just about having good opinions. It was the ability to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. And so in each one of these major challenges and hurdles and problems facing America, in my book, American Restoration, I, as you know from having read it, I offer solutions in the way forward. I, I demonstrate examples from all over the country of the ways that Americans are actually seeking to restore and regenerate and renew uh, you know, the communities and the cities uh, in which they live. And I don't mind saying, especially to you, my great friend, Dave, that, uh, it, that so much of this has to begin in our church. It has to begin in our family. It has to begin on the block where we live, the neighborhood where we live. So many of the, of the genuine solutions to our national problems begin most locally. Uh, I wanna say just one thing, if I may, Dave, it was stunning to me in doing the research for this book. And I would talk with real people who have never been you know, more concerned about the country. And I would ask the most elemental question, here it was, do you know your next door neighbor? Do you know the people across the street? Overwhelmingly, this is anecdotal, not empirical. Overwhelmingly, people said, I don't. I don't know the people who live next door. I don't know the people who live across the street or down the block. You know, I think that if we are serious about solutions, we have to think about the place where God has planted us. I think that's very, very important. And with regard to the sanctity of human life, I've never been more hopeful since 1973, Roe against Wade. Mm -hmm. We have a major Supreme Court case, Dobbs from Mississippi. And I believe that when the Supreme Court rules on this case, which will be heard in the court December 1st, we'll get the solution, we'll get the hearing uh, result, as it were, the, the opinion uh, sometime next June. My opinion is that we will have a majority of justices who will allow states to limit abortion after 15 weeks. I'm very hopeful in that regard. I'm also very hopeful that for the major social legislation moving through the Congress, that the Hyde Amendment which stops taxpayer funding of abortion, my view is that that provision will be in the bill. And I think that's very important. So for all the rain clouds, for all the dark clouds, for all the difficulties, and they are certainly there, I think there are genuine, real, empirical reasons uh, to be hopeful about what is just over the horizon. Well, I know your, your office there because I have a desk downstairs. Yes, you do. Yeah. And you, you, you can look out your window and see the Supreme Court. Yes. And what are you, what's your thought on the Supreme Court now and kind of where it's, it's headed? 
I, I am so thrilled to tell you, and this is just the timing of Providence, that this is the 30th anniversary of Justice Clarence Thomas serving on the Supreme Court. It's hard to believe that it's been 30 years, isn't it? And if Justice wow. Thomas, I know, and if Justice Thomas remains on the court just six more terms, and I believe that he will, he will be the longest serving Supreme Court justice in American history. I think he is a distinguished, heroic, remarkable American. Um, I just uh, uh, read and reread, and I encourage every, every person uh, who is listening uh, to us today, viewing us today, I encourage every person to watch, listen, and read Justice Thomas's outstanding commencement address from Hillsdale College. Dave, I think it's possible that it is the greatest commencement address ever delivered in the United States. It's about why the idea of moral goodness and virtue is absolutely foundational to the perpetuation of freedom in a constitutional republic. And he does it with aplomb and brio. And I absolutely believe this is one of the most powerful lyrical speeches I've ever been honored to hear. Mm. So I, I think there are other reasons, even beyond the cases in this term, for us to look to Justice Thomas, because in many ways, he has emerged as the anchor of this court. Wow, that, that is encouraging. Can you repeat that again? Uh, just uh, where people can find that? You bet. It's very easy to find. If anyone goes to Hillsdale College, by the way, I think Hillsdale is uh, one of the finest uh, colleges in all of America. All you have to do is go online to Hillsdale College, uh, just look under the commencement addresses, and you will find there uh, a beautiful uh, um, a video audio version of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas's commencement address. And I encourage uh, everyone uh, to listen to it, to, to watch it, to read it. Uh, the justice has done something very important in that speech. And I think he's speaking so uh, passionately and so eloquently, uh, Dave, to the rising generation of young Americans. And I think it's very important that all of us speak to that generation. And I'm not patronizing you, Dave, but you do it better than anybody. You know, uh, um, every, uh, everybody, uh, you know, is thinking about this generation. And my view is whoever wants this generation is going to get them. The largest question is how do we go tell a new generation? How do we share with them the permanent things? How do we uh, share with them the glory and the beauty and the blessing uh, of, uh, of living according to a biblical worldview? How do we reach out and share the gospel to a generation who has never heard the name of Jesus Christ? Uh, I, I, I believe so strongly that Christ is raising up an entire generation, a remnant, uh, that will help uh, to share our worldview and the things that we believe so strongly. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons that I love Justice Thomas's speech. It's not a sermon, it's a speech, uh, but he, he uh, elucidates a worldview that is very consonant with, uh, with a body of ethics that begins in the Garden of Eden, that reaches a high point in the Ten Commandments, which is, which is beautifully glossed by the Beatitudes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, these are good ways to live. And I think that there is... Uh, a, a, a large percentage of young Americans, we don't read about them in the newspapers, we don't see them on CNN, 
uh, et cetera, but they are there and they're doing really important things. And I talk about them, many of them in, in my book, American Restoration. Well, your book, American Restoration, uh, it's a must read to say the least. Uh, in fact, uh, it's probably the top five I have recommended uh, since it was written. Oh, that uh, means a lot. The Tragedy, the tragedy, tragedy of American Compassion is yes. another uh, Marvin Olasky must yeah. read. But uh, people ask, well, what do I do? You know, and because too many people are just spectators. And, right. uh, you know, they, they watch the news every night. And the only thing that changes is their blood pressure. You know, it goes uh, up. Friend, you know, I'm so glad you just said what you said. Because if people forget everything we have discussed today, I hope they will remember one thing about our wonderful conversation and is the following. Democracy is not a spectator sport. It is so easy to disengage. It is so easy to be apathetic. It is so easy to watch the news, read the news, share a tweet, whatever, and then go, uh, go on as if nothing can be done. Uh, a very little known American philosopher was Richard Weaver. And I love one of the most famous uh, small books he wrote called Ideas Have Consequences. And the reality is that good ideas have consequences and bad ideas have consequences. And they are all good and bad ideas together, you know, battling in the public square. You know, Dave, I remember the very first time that I met you and I remember our very first conversation and the narrative of our first conversation was how long it takes to build a great civilization and a great country and how quickly it can be taken down. Yes. Yes. And the mental image I have of that first conversation is a sandcastle. You know, you go out to the beach with your son or daughter, uh, your grandson or, or, or granddaughter, and you spend uh, an hour, you know, with a bucket and a pail and sand and you build this elaborate castle. And you build it out of sand away from high tide. And a young person soon learns that the high tide comes in. And it took an hour or more to build this lovely structure and edifice. And in a matter of two sweeps of the wave, you'd never know it was there. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the time that we are in, in Western civilization and in the American experience, I think we have to realize that, uh, that we have to be cautious about bringing down sandcastles uh, and how quickly all of the permanent things uh, can be attempted to be swept away. And I think that we have uh, a lot of work to do in the rebuilding and the reconstruction and the reformation uh, of the American experience so that in the next generation and the one after that, this remarkable country is there and not merely the next one swept away by, uh, by high tide. Wow, that is so well said. Uh... What, uh, Tim, what would you say, though, to that person that's watching, listening, uh, that, that's saying, yeah, I, I want to make a difference. I, I want to enter uh, this public square and take a stand for our moral biblical values, but I don't know how to do it. Right. That, by the way, Dave, what you've just asked is the most, the single most common question I hear when I am about uh, out and about in the country traveling. When I give remarks and then I get to the you know, proverbial uh, Q&A, that is predictably 
the first, second, or third question. Of course, I point them toward the book because it was, uh, you know, designed, you know, to be specifically for people who want to be involved but don't know what to do. So, uh, you know, uh, from a practical standpoint, I say, you know, please read American Restoration. But uh, may I see speaking more broadly? We need the church to be involved. We need people in the church to be involved. We need people to step outside of his or her comfort zone and to begin to engage uh, with the wider culture and the wider world. It's not just about engaging with people who already agree with us. You know, uh, I had a wonderful debate coach and the very first uh, session I had with my uh, beloved debate coach, he said to me, just remember Tim, the goal of the debate is not to win the hearts and minds of the people who already agree with you. And I've never forgotten that. You know, we have to be winsome, we have to be winning, we have to be conversational, but we have to do something that is really difficult and it's only because you've asked me, uh, Dave, but the most difficult thing in the world is to listen, <laughs> not just to hear, but to really listen to people who either don't know what to do or who may have a fundamentally different view than we do. Because once, we, once they have been listened to and they've heard and been heard, then we can thoughtfully respond. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've read reams and reams of the work of Maya Angelou. And I love something that she said, which has had a very profound impact on me and my work at Focus on the Family. Uh, she said uh, one time, I think very famously, she said, they may forget what you said and they may forget what you wrote, but Maya Angelou said, they will never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. And mm -hmm. I think that we have to be very careful about the way that we enter into dialogue and discussion because we have to remember that this is a very large, complex, continental nation of 350 souls, 350 million souls. And we have to remember that there are large numbers of people who will never have a conversation like this, who will never hear a conversation like this, and who do not understand uh, you know, some of the finer uh, you know, points that we're discussing here but not because we're elitists or above anybody, quite the opposite, but it's because they're not familiar with the Bible, they're not familiar with the Constitution, they're not familiar with the Declaration of Independence or the Federalist Papers. No one has ever come into their life and said, have you thought about reading these five or six books? Do you, do you know who the figure of St. Paul is? Do you know who St. Peter is? Do you know why, why the, the uh, relationship of Martha and Mary uh, relative to Jesus, why it matters, you know, who's Noah, uh, you know, just this kind of thing. And so I think that it's very important that we tread lightly and that we widen the circle. I want to conclude with this. Uh, you've been just greatly used uh, by the Lord over the years, and you've been faithful, uh, you and your wife. Thank you. And you're in part of it is because you're of your reliance on the supernatural. Mm. By all means, uh, share with I mean, us how, yeah. yeah, please share with us how the supernatural impacts your everyday service in our nation's capital. Uh, I was a very young man as an intern in the United States Senate, and a senator now deceased from North Carolina, Dave, gave a speech that impacted me from that day till this. He said, if I ever become a cynic or a skeptic 
I'm out of here. Mm. And I have thought of that speech uh, countless times in my life. Uh, people who are cynical and skeptical, it seems that the world is closing in on them. And, uh, you know, and, and we, we must never allow that to happen. You know, uh, Jesus Christ is the light in the darkness. You, you remember uh, in this very powerful, one of the most powerful films I've ever been honored to, to watch, the Mel Gibson movie, Last Temptation of Christ. And you, you will remember there's that incredible scene uh, where he's weighted down by the cross and the sweat and the blood. And he sees his mother, Mary, there. And he looks up at her. And in this moment of extreme pain and ache, what does he say? He says, be of good cheer, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that, that, that that's our mantra as well, that just when it seems darkest, just when we think we're at the end of our rope, Christ is there. Uh, and he's there as if it's the first morning in the history of the world. And so I, I, uh, I, I take great hope and joy in that. Well, what a joy it is for us to have one of heaven's heroes uh, with us today on the Influencers Podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Tim. What a joy. Every blessing, Dave. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus. Jesus.